And if you don't know, now you know. All right, welcome to the Now You Know More podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Carvello. And it's the C-L-E-M. That's it. Yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start expecting you're going to leave it there now. Yeah. All right, bet. Welcome to the Now You Know Podcast. Again, Clement and Anthony ha- holding it down. No Charlie Feta with us today. Yeah, he had man. some teeth taken out. <gasps> no insurance. <laughs> it's a little risky. Yeah. You don't get as much freezing, I don't think. I don't think, that, <laughs> I think that's how it works. So he's uh, laying low a little bit today. But we got a special uh, man in the building, and I've been told that we need to work on the intros a little bit. We got to work on the intro. We got to work on the intro. So, like, what do you mean? Intro- in like, like what in- aspect? In- introing the guest. Okay. So you may remember him from the Funk Boat. Maybe you know him as the topless DJ from Gibbet and Grain, <laughs> or more recently, the, the inventor of Hat Cam. My man, DJ Co-op. How are you doing, DJ Co-op? <laughs> give it up. Doing give it up. great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Yeah. Shouts out to Hat Cam. Shout out to Hat Cam. Is it making a comeback? Season two? You know, season three? Streets are hungry. People keep asking about Hat Cam. I, I keep releasing all these other cams, and like, they just don't have the same traction as Bike Hat Cam. Bike Cam's pretty hard. Helmet Cam was hard. Oh, helmet Cam, yeah, Sa- yeah. Sardine Cam's on the come up. A lot of people <laughs> talking to me about Sardine Cam. They want to know more Those about sardines different, are fire, actually. different types of sardines. Yeah. Man, I went to Lucky Food Mart, and it was just like... Where have you been all my life, Lucky? <laughs> I used Neat. to live walking distance from there. Nice. That was my like fridge. I wouldn't yeah. buy groceries. I just walk over. You there. just walk over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah pick yeah. up a, one banana. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever I was gonna make the that usual, day, I would please. just buy my ingredients. They would guess after they saw me a while. Like <laughs> tacos, <laughs> tacos tonight. Tacos again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like he doesn't have a fridge. <laughs> yeah. After that, he doesn't know how to shop. <laughs> yeah. He's, you're doing it wrong, sir. But how you been, Tim? Very well, thank you. Yeah, um, chilling, just drinking my tea, living my best life, <laughs> feeling good, happy you're, to be you're here. You're rejuvenated these days, man. You're looking Re- great out here. Yeah, man. What's I don't the know. secret? Uh, the secret is this summer I'm turning 40 and I'm okay. getting married and yes. I was just like, it's time to take control yeah. of my whole shit. Perfect. And uh, yeah, been been doing that, feeling feeling really feeling really focused. It's funny, like you know when. When things are moving one direction, uh, in terms of like living healthy, feeling right in your head, it all sort of gels. And sometimes when it turns the other way, it all goes the other way. And right now, it's I'm just firing in all cylinders and feeling good. So Perfect. thank nice. you for that. Yo, I like to also like thank sardines. You know, <laughs> I like to thank waking up early in the morning. Yeah. I hope this podcast doesn't go too late because I'm a big fan of getting up early. What's early these days? Six. So, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's what's up. Six. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's six. Every sh- time. So seven is the late time. Seven is when seven wifey is gets up. In. Yeah, but six is like, six is becoming the normal. Damn. I even tried. Like my body tried to wake me up this morning at six, and we had grip and grain last night, and and I was like, okay, no, this is not happening. <laughs> right. But it's like once you get in that groove, it's just like, okay, let's get it. Let's, let's make coffee. Let's, let's walk go. the dog. Let's, let's start get it. the day. Yeah. No doubt. All right. Well, let's take it back all the way back. Mm-hmm. Born in. Toronto. T.O. What, what did you call Toronto at the time? Was it T.O.? It was T.O. That's T-dot? right. Yeah, it T-dot wasn't T.O.O. No. It was just T.O. <laughs> okay. T.O. Yeah, I, remember, I remember my mom and my mom would call it T.O. And then like later, like because I was born in 79. So like l- that was like 80s. It was just T.O. Then the 90s. People started saying T, T dot, dot and then yeah. just the dot and yeah. then and then all the rest of the names came afterwards. But I definitely remember people saying T O. 
Perfect. Good to so know. That's that and, era. And you go from T.O. and you wind up? I wind up in Portage La Prairie, which is where I mostly grew up. How um, does that happen? How do you go from <laughs> Toronto to Portage yeah, La Prairie? No, there's a step, right? <laughs> um, my, my dad grew up in Portage. My mom was actually from the States. Uh, she's an American citizen. She is an American citizen. My dad, uh, rest in peace, passed away a bunch of years ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, they met in Toronto. So okay. they, they met there. That was where I was born. And then we ended up, the family ended up moving back to where my dad's family was from. So basically okay. grew up grew up in Manitoba, in, in Portage, and then uh, graduated and moved to Winnipeg right after graduation and been in Winnipeg ever since. So that was, that was 97. That's the big city, exactly. Any siblings growing up at home? Yeah, one uh, sister, younger sister, shouts out to April Hoover at Love Carbs Coach. She's <laughs> okay. a dietitian. Yeah. She's actually got me on this health kick that I'm on right now. She's been a great support. Perfect. Follow her on the gram, Love Carbs Coach. You don't have to hate on carbs. You don't have to limit your calories. Just, you know what? Live your life. Eat good food. Yes. There you I go. love it. I love it. <laughs> and so gro- growing up um, in Portage La Prairie, yeah. you obviously are a DJ. How did that work out in terms of finding music? Was it a very musical household coming up? Your parents listened to a lot of music? They listened to a decent amount of music. Um, like I remember lots of Beatles records, Elton John. Um, and then, yeah, like, yeah, I remember that for, for records. I remember my dad, like they were, we were kind of like a CBC household. Like both my parents had master's degrees. So it was kind of Mm. like they, they were up on like, like classical music and also like, like some like new and experimental music. If they heard it on CBC, they'd be interested in checking it out. Like they would take us into the, the new music festival at, at the WAG um, okay. like throughout the nineties. So I remember getting up, put up on some like really cool, like there's this guy I love, Philip Glass, uh, mm. who's like a wow. sort of new music composer. My dad, when he got the CD player, the first CD player in our house, he got like a couple of crazy Philip Glass CDs. And I was like, Oh, this stuff's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, kind of exposed to a, a pretty, a broad range of music, nothing too deep. Like it wasn't like I was getting like none of the stuff that ended up spinning really, um, fr- through them. Uh, but yeah, and then in, in high school in Portage, I got a job at the radio station, CFRY, which was a country radio station. So I worked there part time, uh, just like playing Tim McGraw, playing like old, lots of old school country. Yeah. This was peak Shania Twain. This was like Shania Twain, Garth Brooks era. Yeah, of, I can buy with Shania Twain. I mean, I, it was in my house. I was cleaning the house music from yeah. my, from my mom. That's no, that what it reminds that mean, me. Of. Yeah, I hear Shania, and I just start picking shit up. <laughs> <laughs> I had a thing for Shania Twain, so it made it easy to digest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, every Canadian, I feel yeah. Like. Well, I mean that 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 big album, the woman in me, like that's untouchable. That's no. untouchable. Every that's, song hit platinum, like hit multi eye platinum. Is it Malton. maybe the the biggest selling female solo record of all time in like? Maybe. Fucking albums, I think. Maybe, maybe it, yeah, it broke maybe. some Look it kind up. of record. Look it up, people, yeah. and then because it's diamond. That record's diamond. Right? Damn, diamond. Yeah. Oh, quick, yeah. quick crazy. aside. Uh, when me and Pip went up to play in the Paw, the only place we could get food when we rolled into town was at the casino. Uh, so we went to the casino, and they had little pictures up on the wall who had played there, and there were little eight by tens or whatever, whatever, from people who had played at their casino in the Paw. And there was these two women who were dolled up, 
and they were they were identical twins, and they were called Shania Twin. <laughs> so they did a Shania Twain show. Cover band. Yes, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I wish I'd seen that performance. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're probably playing that casino next week. Yeah. yeah, selling it out now. They got a fan base. <laughs> I would hope so. There you go. So you so you go to high school in Portage Prairie. Yep. What's it like going to high school in Portage Prairie? Brutal. Must be pretty small, right? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. There were two high schools at the time. They've since amalgamated into one. Um, yeah, I mean, like you know, small, medium-sized town. It was. I was. You know, like I was, I was into all kinds of music. I really, I was really into punk because it was sort of the music of the time. Like mm-hmm. I was listening to the Fat Record stuff, No Effects, and I liked Rancid and all that. We'd go into Winnipeg to see shows at uh, Le Rendezvous. I, I, like it was weird. Like I still, I listened to some rap. I was crazy about Public Enemy. I'll always be crazy about Public Enemy, yeah. but I didn't stay up on the new rap. The new rap, I would hear a little bit from Yai, because I was uh, from Danny Corrigan, Yai from Peanuts and Corn Records. Uh, he was in the same grade as me, but went to a different school. So, yeah, what was it like? It was just like a regular-ass high school, Noth- nothing too crazy, you know. I played in band. I worked at the radio station on the weekends. Um, I was starting to get into, like, buying records. I was mostly buying, like, punk records because that's what I listened to like mm-hmm. buying Fugazi records no effects records um, and then and then getting into like thrifting records so like I remember like I pulled pulled a whole bunch of Stevie Wonder at garage sales in Portage which was crazy I don't know yeah, who in Portage who's selling that yeah yeah who's <laughs> buying it in the first place and who's selling it whole bunch of average white band too yeah um, so like just like starting to get in into into digging and just like thrifting in general like buying like weird ass stereo equipment and taking it apart. So like all that stuff was, was starting to happen. Playing, like playing sock hops at sc- at the school dances and stuff. Basically playing like tapes, like queuing tapes up and DJing off of cassettes. Oh wow! Um, so does the inspiration for that stuff come from working in the radio and kind of seeing it happen live? Yeah, yeah, and a lot of it was. Yeah, yeah, I would say a little bit from from the radio and then and then starting to see shows live. I was telling my fiance this story the other day cuz someone was talking about Ice Ice Baby and I was like, Classic. I remember when that came out and I I didn't know what a pause tape was to make a loop, but I but I I mean, I I I didn't invent it, but like I I figured it out <laughs> on my yeah, own. Yeah, I was yeah. like I was yeah. like, "Okay, I, I like the start of this song that goes doom doom chung doo doom doom and it's got the drums in it." So how do I extend it? Okay, I'll record it from this tape onto that tape. Pause it, rewind, record again. Pause okay. it, rewind, do that eight times, then get another tape, and blah 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 blah. Um, so like it was sort of just like there wasn't a lot, you know, there wasn't a lot going on in Portage. So it was always kind of like figure out your own shit. Yeah. Then I took that tape to school, and our class wrote a song called the Environmental Rap. <laughs> Yes. Wait, no, never mind. I wrote the environmental rap. I wrote the whole shit. I did. I wrote and produced it. Rose, Rose produced it. And then, and then, like, we, like, our class performed it at, like, a freaking assembly. Yeah, uh, like, that was our project on, like, you know, the environment. Ghost writing early. 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 I hope you got an A for that. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. So, you discover pause tapes, you're figuring out DJ. Yeah. That's amazing. In the middle of Portage La Prairie. Is are you and E and Yai hooking up at around that time as well? And he's into rap. Yes, he was way into rap, like way more than me. Like I kind of dabbled in in like I said everything. Um, 
yeah, Danny was like the rap guy in Portage. He had like all the tapes. He recorded Rap City onto VHS every week. Like he had it. He knew it all. He knew it cold. And then yeah, we were starting to mess around with we we were starting to mess around with like actually rapping. Uh, we had another friend named Mark. Shouts out to Mark Mercier, um, who was getting into into making beats. We did. Um, we formed a crew, of course, as you do when you're yeah, kids. We were called the Lost do. Tribe Crew. Uh, we were, we recorded one song. I, I looped up uh, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, the drums and the guitars. <laughs> nice. Um, and, uh, and we rapped on it. I could almost remember my verse, but I'm not going to rap it because it's very <laughs> corny. Yep. My rap name was Low Fat because I was very skinny. It was L-O-F-A-T-T. All very, very corny, embarrassing <laughs> stuff. But yeah, so we were starting to we were starting to mess around with that stuff in high school um, a little bit, and then it all kind of exploded when we graduated and moved to the city. Then it's mm. like, holy shit! Like I see DJ Grasshopper play for the first time and he's scratching. And then like Kid Koala comes to town. And it's like what? And then we started seeing, um, we started seeing the Peanuts and Corn guys. Like we knew that Peanuts and Corn existed. We yeah. knew there were guys in Brandon who were doing rap. Yeah. Um, I think maybe even even in high school, we had gone to a couple shows in Winnipeg and been like, oh, crazy. Like, there's this group called Farm Fresh, and they're from fucking Brandon, and they're like, they're they're dope. Like, they're, they're just as good as Beastie Boys or Farside, and they're from Brandon, mm-hmm. and that's fucking yeah. crazy. So that was very inspiring for us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, so from that transition, do you start DJing more in the city? Are you going to college at that time in, uh, here in the city? Yeah, I'm going to university. I'm going to U of M. I wasn't... DJing very much. I was still collecting vinyl, like okay. just mostly thrifting shit, just mm-hmm. like random shit, just as you do, like when, right yeah, when yeah. you start digging, you're just Are like, you digging? oh cool, Fleetwood Mac, fucking right. It's like yeah. I'll just play this for my friends at our house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're digging a little bit for like a personal collection, and are you digging for uh, loops at this point as well? Not really. No, no, I didn't. I didn't go deep into production like okay. that. Like I dabbled with it a tiny bit, but I just never. Yeah, I just never went deep. I was pretty focused on school. Like I was in electrical engineering at U of M. I was like, okay, this is what's up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be an engineer. I'm gonna like, you know, just really, what's that? You're just gonna. Uh, what do engineers do? Nobody <laughs> engineer. knows. Engineer. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. engineer. They drive the train. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I wasn't wasn't super digging for loops. I was yeah, not really. Um, mostly just yeah, going to college. Lived, lived, uh, you know, lived in an apartment with my my buddies. Did that for three years, but after about two, three years, that was when I met Honeycut, and that mm. was when like everything kind of started to change, and I started digging more for like stuff to play at dance parties, playing little dance parties on my own, and then eventually, somehow, I had the audacity just to like go to him at the record store that he worked at, and was like yo, I've seen you play. He's like, yeah, I know who you are. Like, I've seen you at our shows or whatever. I'm like, yeah, I'm a DJ. We should throw a party together. Um, And it was just such a random ass, like, audacious thing to do. Because, like, he was an established DJ. He was, like, a crazy digger, like, knew all the loops. You know, he had done recordings. And I was literally just, like, a dude who had maybe maybe one crate of good stuff. You know, like, a bunch of... of, dollar store jams that were kind of funky and then like you know like stevie wonder earth wind and fire records and a few good rap records that i that i'd found and bought or stuff that i dug like it takes to you know but just enough to to cobble together a set right yeah and at that time you're like late 90s early 2000s this is early 2000s Yeah. yeah yeah i think we threw our first party in 2001 2001 and what was that called 
Doing the do. Doing the do. Yeah. Do you remember where it was at? Pyramid. At the pyramid. Yeah, yeah it okay. was at the pyramid. You have a long history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm pretty sure it was 2000. Maybe it was 2002. Before that, I like my first sort of real big gig playing out somewhere was New Year's Eve going from 2001. No, going from 2000 into 2001 at how, the pyramid. How paranoid were you the power was going to go out? Well, that's the thing. It, that's how I remember it. It wasn't. It wasn't the Y two K shit. It wasn't like ninety nine to two thousand. Oh no no no! It was it was two thousand into two thousand and one. Gotcha, so gotcha, we knew sorry. we were good. There was no fucking sea monsters gotcha. eating your arm. Yeah, because of the 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 Y two K bug. But you were yeah. very confident you were going to make it to two thousand one. Exactly. Yeah, right. we had made it. We had made it around the bend. So it was probably two thousand two when, when Honeycutt and I started throwing parties. We threw doing the do, and that was, uh, yeah, those those were it. I just remember being like so stoked. I remember like getting home from that jam and like we probably didn't make much money. I don't know. We charged five bucks at the door. We probably like we did well. Like we filled it up. Like we all we all knew people. We were on the scene. We were inviting our friends out like similar to like, you know, what still goes on with like a ribbon grain party. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just you, you network, you grind and then you just throw a party. But I remember getting home and just being so stoked. I was just like this is the coolest thing. Like I'm a yeah, DJ now. A DJ I threw now. a party. People were dancing to my records. Like I just, like I couldn't sleep. I was just like so excited. That's that's awesome. And that's what I knew. Like, that's what I should be doing. Cause I'm yeah. just like, this is so odd. And the whole night I was just like bouncing around, like talking to everyone. I was just like so excited, like yeah, so yeah, excited. Yeah. And I think now, like I still love DJing, but i definitely, I'm like, you know, a little more jaded or like business minded right, about it. Yeah. But, but if I think back to just like that pure, joy and excitement that it had yeah. that was that was crazy yeah that's awesome yeah so it goes back to 2000 2001 and then you and uh honeycutt start throwing parties uh what what's the next like big milestone parties that you guys end up doing or moments that you find now you think yo i'm a dj now like i threw a party it worked i got to play with a guy who's a real dj so now i'm a real now DJ, I'm a DJ too. yeah exactly <laughs> i'm in by extension i'm I, in i'm in yeah, so we would, yeah, we we would start, yeah, we kept throwing parties at the pyramid every four to six weeks, and we would like, we would go, we would go hard on on uh, on the promo, right? Like we we would get crazier and crazier with the promo, and we would do it all in house. Like Honeycut was nice with graphic design, so he would mm-hmm. he would make the poster. We would try and think of cool concepts, um, and then started to do like, we were both. Very well, Honeycutt had the radio show Born in the Break on UMFM, so we yep. would go on his radio show. We would bum rush other people's radio shows at both college stations and like take over their shows, play records, oh. hype it up, like just like go all out. Gorilla, yeah, style exactly. At that point, and, and we, the free that... press was good too. We would write like we would write press releases. I would like get, I was getting crazier and crazier writing these like half humorous, half serious press releases <laughs> just to like grab Bartley Kivas's eye because Bart used to be the entertainment retor- re- reporter. Yeah. Um, and he couldn't help but like publicize us. And we would do like crazy press photos so because we, we knew that they would want to print it if it had like a, a cool a angle photo. to it. Yeah. So it was just like, I mean, it's not unlike what, what I still do and what we do with the grip and grain where it's just like the day before the party, I was like, I'm like, oh shit! I gotta get music together. I've been like grinding so yeah. hard promoting this shit. I forget that I actually I have to the DJ. DJ part. Yeah. So, so definitely that's how Tyler and I grew it. I think that's how we got our foothold. Is that, like, we were, you know, we were able to DJ and like, especially you know, Honeycut brought the like, whole sort of open format party DJ thing. 
Yeah. To Winnipeg way before like AM sort of blew it up. Like you know, Honeycutt was the one who you he would be just dancing, dancing to Big Daddy Kane, and next thing you know, you're dancing to The Doors. Next thing you know, like you're dancing to Stevie Wonder, and just like keeping it all funky and moving it together, um, like in a funky way. Because there were there were obviously there were loads of DJs, but it was still pretty segmented that back then. Yeah. There was house DJs, there was hip hop DJs, there was commercial DJs. And like they were all super dope, you know. Like 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 finesse was playing the clubs and blowing yep. the fuck up back then. Yeah. And like ultimate respect to finesse, but he also lived in our world. Like he loved he loved playing open format all styles. Um, you guys so kind of yeah. find a niche that like every DJ kind of wishes they could play. I would say, but like they don't always get to. Like I bet finesse would love to play an open format, but it's like oh, I'm the hip hop guy. I I'm gotta play that. You know, I'm the club guy. guy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I gotta kind of play my role or that's what's expecting me when i get booked right but you guys kind of flipped it in a bit that you weren't getting booked you were kind of booking the party and throwing your own parties right yeah is there any reason why you guys decided to go that route as opposed to getting hired as a dj i guess yeah why did we i mean i feel like that just sort of it just sort of worked out that way that just like that diy aesthetic just spoke to both of us right you know Mm -hmm. like if you go back to uh, even before we started throwing parties, like their rap group, which was called Farm Fresh, Peanuts and Corn Record, for those that don't know, huge mm-hmm. respect. Uh, you know, they like they were just doing shows, like they were a band, you know. And like I was, li- I was into bands, I was into like listening to punk music and going to shows at venues. Like I never went to clubs, I didn't know nothing yeah. about clubs. Yeah. So I was just like, okay, like it just sort of it naturally came that like, okay, we're gonna be a DJ duo, but we're gonna we're just going to behave like we're a band. Like, we're yeah. just going to throw a show. Yeah. Like, we're going to get the pyramid. We're going to make a poster. We're going to get all our friends to come. It never occurred to us to, like, okay, we should approach a Canada Inns bar and get them to book us yeah, and yeah. try and make... Like, that... That. Yeah, I don't know. This, maybe this sounds... Yeah, whatever. But it just it just never occurred to us to do it that way. And because of that, we, we got that... Like you said, we got that creative freedom where we're like, oh, shit, like, people came here to see us. So let's, yeah. let's do us. Yeah. You know, people aren't... People aren't just going to this party because it's at this bar because whatever, whatever, some promoter told them to come or they didn't have anything better to do and the, the, the DJ better play their request. It's like everyone is there because they want to be there. And that is, to this day, that that is such a huge distinction, right? Like as a DJ, if you can throw your own shit and do it on your own terms and people are there to see you, what you're going to do, then then you're ahead of the game and honestly i need to i i need to remind myself of that all the time like if i get caught just playing like kind of a safe set or a wax set especially at something where where people are there because i put it on or i'm a part of it mm-hmm. or like now the fact that i've been playing for as long as i can and i have a name like you know i should not be playing it safe all djs should not be playing it safe we should be trying to like push you know it. fucking push it move push it forward it. like do something dope yeah. You know, and like, but that's the neat thing about DJing is you can't just, <laughs> you can't just do like I used to do and just like go up at a full room of the pyramid and just play a Dolly Parton record, <laughs> even though I would. <laughs> I had this shit where I would play either It Takes Two instrumental or a Pete Rock and Seal Smooth instrumental and I'd play Jolene over top of it. So like a very early form of like a mashup, a mashup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the Z Trip era just before, just around, right around the same time that Z Trip was doing his thing. Um, just like how I invented pause tapes, I invented mashups. <laughs> yep. I'm sorry, world. I invented the mashup. Well, yeah. But yeah, if you didn't know, now you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now created you know. in Winnipeg by Tim Hoover. <laughs> so yeah, it kind of just progressed from there, and then we got like 
we would try and get crazier with the concepts. Obviously, um, the funk boat was something that took off huge. Yeah. But I have to shout out, there was someone in Winnipeg who did a funk boat before we did, and that's DJ Coke and Chips. Mm-hmm. Shout out to James, Coach Coke and Chips. Um, and he hired Honeycut to do a funk boat with him uh, for a couple times, I think. And then, uh, and then a few years later, Tyler and I wanted to do a boat party. And we didn't call it the funk boat for that reason because it was his thing yeah then people just started referring it to as the funk boat and eventually it just kind of just morphed into that okay okay so that was a big where the funk thing. boat where the funk boat now so we would do it on there's like there were used to be three different ships that cruised the red rivers that would that people would could throw parties on um none of them none of those boats exist anymore i think they've all been scrapped they're all done. So they, they were question. sketchy for a while before they got scrapped, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, the guy who owned the boats was like, I'll, you know what? I got this one boat. It's the crappiest one. I'll sell it to you for a dollar if you want to run it. <laughs> Yo, Damn, you could have bought a boat. Like could have bought idea. a boat. You could have been Captain Hoover. Yeah, exactly. I could have been the engineer. <laughs> <laughs> could have engineered the shit out of that boat. <laughs> All right, so so you, you go from throwing all these parties uh, with with Honeycut, and maybe we'll get into this. Do you have a top five favorite? Because you guys you've been a part of a lot of like iconic parties, whether it's uh, the Funk Boat, whether it's Gripping Grain, whether it's uh, DJing at Country Fest, and you guys are you know bringing <laughs> yep. the non-country to to it. Whatever it is, do you have a top five? Oh my Sorry God. to put you on the spot. Yeah, but. put me on the spot. Uh, Jesus, like of, of individual events, experiences, or like yeah, of, like these like sort of parties that I've been a part of. Yeah, parties that you've been a part of. I would yeah. say that wow. you you know memorable. Yeah, it could even be you know Grip and Grade Thirty was crazy because yeah. that was the first time I jumped on the table or whatever. Yeah, you yeah. Scratched well, prob- with your toe one time. I I've seen that photo. Yeah, yeah. I was in Vancouver. <laughs> Man, there's been so many. I, I feel like I should have done some more some more prep for this. But like that first like that first. Part Party that Honeycutt and I threw. That was always yeah, that'll always that's be special. Gotta be that'll one. always that'll yeah. always be that'll always be the one. And and then the the funk boats are definitely up there. They were mm-hmm. really cool. Um, the the vibe on the funk boats was so neat because usually at a club party or at a venue party, everyone sort of trickles in or they trickle out. Mm-hmm. On the funk boat, everyone has to arrive at the same time. Right, then it sets sail. Right. Yeah. So for that three hours that it's sailing, everyone is there and everyone is ready to party. So it's like a really cool vibe. Um, and if you don't want to party, you just go out on the deck and you see these beautiful views of the city with the wind blowing by, you can roll one up. It's just like, uh, those, those were really special, really cool. Um, honestly, yeah. Like, and for me, like playing, DJing at, like more recently, like last, uh, spring DJing at the whiteout parties for the Jets was pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah, that's huge. Um, those, that's like iconic for your city. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and like, uh, yeah, there, there was there was some some cool moments there, and that was almost more like a technical thing too, where it's like, okay, how do I, such a broad, like, talk about, okay, at a, like a grip and grain or a honeycut co-op party, people are there to see you. This is the exact opposite. Right. This is thirty thousand yeah. people <laughs> who are just like kicking it, having a beer before going to the game. So, how do I play to them? Yeah. You know, or and still do it in a somewhat creative way where like they can vibe to it, but it's family friendly. So like that's sort of like those are some of the challenges that you see DJing and like some of the challenges that are fun to do and then for me as a DJ I'd have to put up there as well like the stuff I've done uh, backing up rappers okay Um, so Pip and I Pip Skid uh, also a member of Peanuts and Corn record label um, 
I backed him up for quite a few years. We did a tour of Europe together, and there's some oh, pretty wow. some pretty cool experiences there. Yeah. And then uh, Cadence Weapon, who's a rapper originally from Edmonton, Canadian rapper, uh, now based out of Toronto. Um, I backed him up for a North American tour, and it was really cool. It was, I mean, a fantastic experience, and just like that whole experience of working with a rapper in a live setting, you know, playing the beats, adding the scratches, yeah. just uh, as, as, as you would know, yeah. you know, vibing with them like that. We had one fantastic, so we, we did, the, we did a, the big North American tour, just like in a car, driving around. Um, Fat Tony was on the tour with us for part of it. Shouts out to Fat Tony. Nice. Get that new record. It's great. Um, but it was right when Future really hit with Pluto. And we just fucking listened to Pluto over and over <laughs> again. And then we needed a break. We would listen to the big, um, totally different non-rap. We would listen to uh, uh, Tame Impala, the big Tame Impala record. Oh, so nice. I remember yeah. those two being yeah, etched yeah. into my head. Um, and of course, I mean, we loved all of Pluto, but we were obsessed with Turn On The Lights. Oh what a my fucking God. crazy song that is. It's so <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> crazy yeah. So cool. It's like a... You know, like it's an old doo-wop love song yeah. meets like like moody future-based trap stuff, um, and so Cadence had this one song where we would, when we did it live, and this is where like some of that fun creativity comes when you're working with a rapper in a live setting. When we played it live, I would play the original beat, but then halfway through into the second verse, I would transition in instrumental of "Turn on the Lights." And it worked perfectly. Yeah. And like we were kind of getting our timing down better and better on the tour. And then the night of the Brooklyn show, we had it down perfectly. And we played Brooklyn. And the shit just blew the fuck up. And it was nice. just so exciting. That's so like, amazing. You, yeah. That's that, amazing. that would probably round out the top five would, would be that, that moment, that night, where it was just like, because we, we were just so excited. And then, and like, like Future was just on top of the world then, yeah, right? Yeah, and so yeah. like the fact that we were able to bring that instrumental and sort of like, Tie it DJ all together. the night in a sense, like that's fly. Yeah, that's an ill way to to flip the night. Yeah, and help the and help like a rapper, especially if you're Cadence Weapon in the middle of Brooklyn. It just like oh that cat like if only you remember anything you're gonna remember that moment. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden you pay more attention to the rest of the show, right? Like, yeah, it means a lot more. So that's a crazy moment right there. That's dope. Uh, I was, I do have and to And then afterwards ask, I played oh, Kill a Cam and I looped up the Ice Like Winnipeg part too. <laughs> like and Winnipeg. there was like one or two people that knew I was from Winnipeg, some cats that I knew that were in Brooklyn. They were just like, yeah, fucking Ice Like Winnipeg, this is shit. <laughs> yeah. That's so. shit. Melding the world. <laughs> yeah. New York and Winnipeg. Shout out Cam. Uh, I do have to ask about Trap Jaw Rap Battles at the Collective. Oh my God. <laughs> can you talk someone's feeding you, you this shit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah, so so yeah, I did like I did I did rap, you know, uh, in high school a little bit, and then I I like I was I was pretty into freestyling and like okay. trying to get good at it. Um, yeah, and I entered I entered a rap battle. Um, well, hang on, are you talking about? Okay, yeah. Well, there was one rap battle at at the Braemar Bakery that I entered. Yes. Yeah. Um, where like I made it, I made it through a few rounds. Like I beat Gruff the Druid, and then I beat Damn. Rob Crooks. Damn. Damn, I don't know. It was mostly because I was being goofy, but that that was part of. It. I mean, that was just my yeah, shtick. Yeah. Like yeah. You and know. you're playing the crowd, and, yeah, and maybe totally. the people that know you there are like, "What the fuck?" Okay. So there's a, kind of that unexpected element to it yeah. too. Yeah, for sure. Um, and not taking myself too seriously. And then I made it to the final against John Smith. Okay. Um, and like uh, was trying my best to sort of like 
you know, keep up with him, clown him. Yeah. And uh, the, we, we, we did one round, and the judges said it was a tie, and we had to go again. <laughs> and by the end, by that point, I was just, I was out. All of my gimmicks were done. <laughs> I had nothing out. left. I was tapped out, and he just destroyed me. Uh, so, yeah, obviously, giant respect to all those rappers. Uh, huge respect to, to John Smith. Huge respect to Rob Crooks. Love all the music that Rob Crooks has, continues to make. All those yeah. guys, gruff. Uh, but yeah, that was that was <laughs> that's that's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> only it, good questions here. <laughs> that no, reminds me too that like even bef- like somewhere around the same time as the co-op and Honeycut parties, I started throwing like hip hop nights. We okay. called it the Ill Rap Jam. It was me and a couple other dudes would promote just like nights. That's this was at the Collective Cabaret. So this is where our, our um, American Apparel left, so the main floor underneath oh, okay. OV Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a two two story venue. So me and uh, BJ Gumshoe Strut would promote these nights called the Ill Rap Jam, and I would make the posters for those, and that's where the grip and grain cut and paste poster idea oh, started. Okay, that's that even was one be- of the questions I was going to ask. Even yeah, before okay, grip, so when did that start? Yeah, so even before grip, it was the Ill Rap Jam, um, and it was just like. I forget how, for some reason, I had booked the Collective Cabaret because Tyler and I were going to do a party, and then that fell through, and I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'll just throw a rap show. No, I'll throw a jam. No, I'll throw an ill rap jam. (laughs) And so I just made this poster, and I was like, I went into Microsoft Word, and I I picked the Arial Black font, and I wrote ill rap jam. And then I I found a picture of LL Cool J, and I cut it and pasted it onto some shit. I printed out the text that said ill rap jam and pasted it on there. I put Sick. the date. It was like Collective Cabaret, three bucks, featuring whatever Rob Crooks used to be called, Grubs. <laughs> Grubs, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and that was that. That was the Ill Rap Jam. <laughs> so did you do a series of those yeah. after? So yeah. it went well enough. It went, that went you're well like, enough. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna come back with this. Yep. This is a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And then and then we then we did the Ill Rap battles. We started hosting battles. Okay. Which was the uh, battle rap scene in Winnipeg was like really popping. I I get the sense like talking. To, we just had uh, John Smith and. Um, Rob. Uh, yeah, Rob Crooks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say Grubs because you just said <laughs> right. Uh, both of them talking about battling back then. Feta was talking about his battle rap days yeah. uh, from back in the day. Like, what was the aura around? Is it just a lot of rappers around? Just like a sense that you had to prove yourself. I think so. Yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, like I guess battling has always been a big part of rap, and there there always yeah. were battles, and it kind of <laughs> from a promotion standpoint, a battle. It's kind of a good show to, to put on yeah. because uh, all the rappers want to get their friends to come out to support them. Right. Yeah. Right. And so all their friends throw in the five or ten bucks at the door so yeah. the promoter yeah. can get yeah. that. And then the promoter can obviously whatever, do whatever they want with that dough. But usually it goes into prize money. Yeah. So it's like it's kind of easy. It works for everybody. Like yeah. if, you're, if you're a rapper, you know, it's like, holy fuck, I can make 500 bucks. Like that's real fucking that's money. Real money. No, straight up. And and the promoter can cover that five hundred bucks. All they gotta do is get whatever fifty people 50 at ten bucks ahead. Yeah. Um, so the kind of the economics of it made <laughs> sense. But like, but also there was yeah there was there was a lot to prove. You know, like for sure, especially, um, you know, like the the epic battles were always John Smith versus Ismala. That yeah. was yeah. that was the shit. Like that's I, I, the legendary there's rounds. Shit. Yeah. There's oh, rounds god. of them. From oh the, my from god. From the sounds of things. Oh god. Yeah. We they have were to get just Ish epic. up here as well. Just you should. To talk. Yeah, you should. He could tell you stories. Oh my God. Um, yeah, huge respect to Ismala. 
So, um, so yeah. coming from a DJ uh, and throwing your own parties for a long time, how do you or how does it become that you end up being, uh, I guess, a club owner or you guys decide that you want to do that as a team? I have no idea. I just <laughs> woke up one day and in like, a new Yo, Bugatti. You want to throw away? Woke up in, in, in Union Sound Hall. Uh, yeah, that like, um, do, 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 do. How did it all what, start? Yeah what, yeah, what year is that now? Because it's, oh, oh man. man, I know. Timelines are the worst. Yeah, 2004, Four? five. Okay, okay fair. Yeah. Oh, oh, God. I might be off by a decade. I have, like, <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, I am way yeah. off. It's 2012, 2013. Okay. Yeah, because it wasn't that long ago that Union was around, right? No, true, true, yeah. true, true. Um, 2012, 2013. So dudes, like some dudes already that from our generation already had done Green Room. That was yeah. the first, right. like people yeah. that I knew from our scene that were yeah. doing a club. Kev Trotsky was, was the big one. Um, and then there was a group of people getting, got, that got the lease on the Union space, uh, mm-hmm. some, some, some business people. Uh, who were in the in the nightclub uh, industry? Uh, they approached Kevin and were like, "Yeah, you know, you did real good with Green Room. Like, can you get some can you get some like-minded people who would want to be involved in this new thing, this bigger space? Potentially would have live music." And so it was Kev Trotsky that got that our, that got our crew together. Mm-hmm. And so that was the five DJs who did Union Sound Hall. That was me, Honeycut, Lambo, Fraser, and Lonnie C. Lonnie C. Yeah. But, and so for those for those that don't know, that's the five DJs who were involved in the Union Sound Hall venue. And so I sort of had, you know, I had ties to all five of them, right? Because so there's me and Honeycutt. We've been yep. playing together forever. Mm-hmm. Grip and Grain already existed at that point. Yep. And so for those who don't know, Grip and Grain is myself, Fraser, and Lonnie C. Yeah. And then Lambo was... Uh, I'd done some stuff with Lambo. He was the one that I had the least ties to. And Lambo kind of came from maybe a bit more of the EDM side Background. of things, right? Yeah. Uh, so so that was how that was how New Union came together and we all just like threw everyone threw in their own like ideas and experiences to it. And then kind of like we all the big thing was that we all had our own parties and our own brands and we brought them to that room. So Grip yeah. and Grain, you know, happened like Grip and Grain moved around to a whole bunch of different venues over the years and then when Union opened it went there. Lambo had huge like uh, EDM like hipster style dance parties like uh, Devotion, yeah. big dancing, uh, and so he brought his all of his parties there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was sort of how that all came together, and it was uh, it was a wild a wild ride, a wild time, and it was it was super fun. Yeah. Do you have Do you have any stories you remember from uh, the Union days that stick out to you that you like? You'll always remember. Oh my god! Bad or good? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you no, have some I mean, really terrible ones. And no, some nothing really, great really terrible. Ones. I just remember, like, I mean, and I always do this. Just like I just get, like, I just get so heavily invested in whatever project that I'm doing in, like, I whether it's eating sardines or opening a venue, it doesn't <laughs> matter. Like, it's just like this is who I am now. That's that's my joke. I always say that to I always say that to my girl at home. You know, she's like. She's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you attaching a GoPro to your bike and riding through the snow every day? I'm like, this is who I am now, you know? And so, like, there was a lot of that with Union where I was just, like, I'd just be there for, like, 12 hours, like, helping the bartenders, like, set up their wells and, like, not that crazy, but, like, working with, like, just trying to do everything and make everything perfect. And then I'd have to go there and DJ, too, and, like, not being able to, like, turn it off or take a step back. But like good, yeah. So so many good memories um, um, from Union. That first, the first New Year's Eve that we did there, 
uh, was was so fun. I was running around the whole night in Sorel boots. Like I had a <laughs> I had a, a, a wireless mic. Like the wireless mic uh, and me at Union was just like out of hand. Like uh, for good jams, I would always uh, like I would like walk along the bar and like swing the hanging lights and then like try and dodge my way through them like a, like a game of Frogger or something while usually while rapping like you deserve it or turn on the lights or any of the any single song off of Pluto ideally just like playing Pluto front to back shout out future if you're listening now you know listening. now you know super fan uh, we did uh, like there's this other brand party and we were talking about top five like parties I've been a part of the Smith Fitz party uh, yeah. shout out to, to yeah, Scott yeah, yeah. Wade uh, uh, originally from Winnipeg moved to Toronto who started that party and uh, Jay and Matt who um, brought the party to Winnipeg they were gracious enough to ask me to join the crew and spin the party it happened at Albert a few times then we brought it to Union and there was one there was one Smith Fitz at Union that was just crazy like it was so packed it was like I don't know 700 people uh, and everyone was just going crazy to all this cool, like, it, like if for people who don't know, and probably most people don't, Smith Fitz was a, it was a dance party, but a rock music dance party. Yeah. And um, Smiths and the Misfits were like the two sort of things. So like punk, new wave, 80s, all that. And like, it just got so litty. And like so litty that like, uh, when we were like, because usually near the end of the night is when we start playing the crazy punk stuff. Like people were like, moshing stage diving crowd you know crowd surfing um it was so fun but always like like not in like a, a super aggro uh, unsafe way like always right. in, a, in a chill respectful way so yeah good definitely good good memories from union despite me like just overextending myself and like sacrificing my mental and physical health for my project <laughs> you, <laughs> you know and, and uh, honestly and, and also i should i should mention that like it what i'm not trying to say that it was all me running the place no, at all like we the all the partners were fantastic contributors we had an amazing staff we had you know a great manager yeah. it was a really really you know great team effort yeah, yeah that's a legendary venue like i feel like in winnipeg like i i know for us like with three P, we got to play there a couple times. Yeah, and like you say, the wireless mics. When you give three P wireless mics, that's also <laughs> <Yeah>. a problem. <laughs> I think they'll run into the crowd, and you might lose one for a minute. But like playing there was always special. The sound was great. Uh, it felt like home, and that's something that you guys then uh, created again. I would say uh, with Goodwill. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that transition from going from Union to Goodwill, which is, I mean, almost super club situation to a bit more low key. You got coffee in the morning. There's a restaurant in there. You know, it's a, it's a different situation, but still one of the best music venues in the city. For real. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so Goodwill Social Club, smaller room uh, in Portage Avenue. Again, I'm just a small part of the, the sort of ownership group who, like, mm -hmm. got it together. Um, and, but, yeah, and I guess it, the, there's only two, the only two, uh, um, the only two people who are partners in Union Sound Hall and Goodwill are myself and Honeycutt. So yeah. we're sort of the, 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 the thread that connected both, uh, both venues. And definitely, you know, like, yeah, we wanted to have a more of a focus on live music. And so the, the room sort of was set up to sound really good. Um, the physical space kind of dictated what could and would go in there as well. But also, yeah, we wanted it to be um, a space where whatever was in there was defining what it was. And Union had a little bit of that, but it ended up 
kind of just being a club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like for the most part, um, Goodwill is whatever it is where the, sh- the good, whatever the goodwill is that night is defined by the show that's happening. Yeah. Right. So it's, whether it's it, very like, uh, it can versatile. Change. It yeah. Can versatile. Change. Exactly. Yeah. Like last night, um, Waster had their album release party. So it was like a, I think they're punk. Are they punk? Yeah. There was a, <laughs> there was a show, it was a rock show, yeah. you know, and all those, all like that whole scene was out there and it was great. And then there'll be like a mama Cutsworth dance party or three Pete show or whatever. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't have to be hemmed into one thing, and it can also evolve like as the music scene evolves. So yeah. it can be rather than rather than the venue trying to be like, okay, this is what we are, this is what we're gonna do. It's like like hey, we just take it to the to the music community and be like, hey, we're a room. What what y'all want to do? Yeah, like what what, what's going on? What do you need? We're here. And, and you yeah. guys have done some very interesting things throughout the year, like working with Synonym. You switched up the stage to have it in the center. Like mm-hmm. it's been a lot of crazy things in that space. And a lot of like that's a good example of that came you know synonym synonym came to us with that you know yeah. so it's like we're able to just sort of feed off that creativity from from the scene in the community and that's what I think you guys have really built a strong sense of with the goodwills like a sense of community both within the physical community that you exist but also like people because you, you throw a show at at the goodwill there's a built-in crowd almost you yep. know what I mean almost, like that that yeah. they're gonna come to a yeah, I'll go see what... The, it's probably good. You know what I mean? You guys have curated a good uh, set of shows and wide-ranging still, but you guys have a, a crowd almost that will trust you and it's centralized. So can you talk a little bit about, about building community and what that means to you guys there? Sure, yeah. I mean, and I hope... Yeah. Um, oh, my brain just stopped working. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously being being a, like a welcoming safe space for everyone is super important to us and that just kind of came that just kind of came naturally like it was just sort of in line with 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 what we believe in and um through curation I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh and then yeah, you know, like it just sort of it it all just it it's gonna, it comes back to the point of like letting the music community almost define what it is like obviously you know like people wanted there to be a safe space to go to shows like there was a need there so we filled that need yeah you know um and 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 through that you know each time there was a successful event where people had good vibes and liked the good music just as you said um the the sort of uh, trust in the brand grows yeah. and then people know that they can come there and see good shows. And as you say, even if they don't necessarily know what the show is going to be, they're probably still, you know, might want to, might want to check it out. And the cool thing is like, you can get in the venue without having to pay cover. So you can kind of see, is this my crowd? Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to come yeah. in and see what's playing and like, is this for me? Okay. Yeah, maybe it looks yeah. like it's fun. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm going to hang out for a little bit. Speaking of that, like having a venue, you also play shows outside of the venue. You got one coming up really soon, right? Uh, can you speak a little bit about that? How you book the planetarium for the show? <laughs> yeah, you just gotta you gotta tune to the cosmos, man. You just gotta like the space, yo. Space. Just looking through a telescope let, one day, let, and you're like, I got it. Let me let me answer that question. <clears throat> space. Damn. That's it. That's it. That's just space. I just let that let that breathe. Um, yeah, so uh, a bunch of years ago, I made an instrumental album because 
throughout all this DJ stuff. I, I still do dabble in production a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so I made an instrumental album called More Napkins. I made it mostly in my headphones at various McDonald's around the city. Yeah. And so uh, I was always trying to have to grab more napkins. So um, that's why I called it More Napkins. You have the most great, like the, I want to see how your brain works. Like I want to sit no, you down don't. in one. No, you don't. It's just <laughs> like be there. It, it might sound mundane while we're speaking about it, but it's genius. It's genius. It's like sardines. Like yeah, I've seen that can before, but now I want to eat that can because you showed it to me. So uh, I, I tell I've been telling I tell people from time to time. I was like, yeah, I made this instrumental album. They're like, I never knew that. I never heard about it. And when I released it. Um, I released it at the Planetarium, uh, and I got the idea for that years ago. Seeing this space rock band, Nemo, they had a, they were a Winnipeg band, and they had a poster saying they were doing their album release at the Planetarium, and, and they were kind of like a Radiohead sort of uh, um, Pink Floyd type band. I was yeah. like, yeah, that's really hype. That's really. And I kept that in the back of my mind. And then, so when I made my album, um, uh, my friend had a small record label called Woven Records. Shout out to Woven Records, Nico and Jesse. Um, I was like, guys, I want this. I want to do this at the, at, at the planetarium. So they hit them up, and we organized it. And so every time I tell people about that recently in the past few years, they'd be like, I never knew about that. That's crazy. I wish I'd known. So it's like everybody who's ever said that to me, now you can come again because we're doing it. It's happening. And it's happening on April 20th. 420 oh. so it's it's trippy instrumental music <laughs> you, if you want to get down with whatever you people do with your whatever whatever whatever's on 420 <laughs> and vibe out shouts out to Steve he's already told yeah. me his plans <laughs> <laughs> what do you think I'm doing right now <laughs> he's on drugs right now it's legal you can't say shit um yeah, so uh, like, yeah, the album is kind of this dense, layered uh, album that involves some samples and then a whole bunch of uh, uh, stuff that I programmed uh, um, uh, using the, my computer, using synths and all that. Uh, weird time signatures, kind of like like textures, but then some stuff that's just like straight up, best way to describe it would be like trip-hop, instrumental, okay. yeah. uh, but it kind of flows in and out, and it's a full 60-minute piece where each track flows into the next one. Um, I'm super proud of it. I think it's really cool stuff. It's something you might not expect from me if you see me DJ a show because it's very yeah. different. Like maybe inspired a little bit by like a DJ Shadow type thing, but also elements of like Radiohead and some of the more like abstract, uh, um, you know, uh, psychedelic rock even. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I sort of know a person who works at the Planetarium. So I, I okay. phoned him and he was like, yeah, I remember that show. We'd love to have you back. Da, da 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 Put me in touch with the booking person. I feel like they, they would love more people to do events either at the planetarium or the museum or whatever. Like it wasn't like I had to twist their arm. They're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had to pay cool. to book. I had to pay to book it, and of I'm course. selling yeah. tickets and blah blah blah. Still all a venue. That. Yeah, yep, still a regular venue. But yeah, I think it lends itself really well to the music. So it's called the More Napkins Re-Listening Party. It's April 20th at the Planetarium. Uh, you can get tickets at morenapkins.net. Um, and I'm doing a run, a run of tapes because I don't have an, I don't have a tape anymore. Sick. I did like 50 tapes when it came out yeah. uh, when it came out whatever eight years ago. So um, yeah, I'm doing a limited run of 50 tapes, uh, and you can get a tape at the show. Uh, Ten bucks to see the show, or 20 bucks you get a tape and you get to see the show. 
I'm hopefully going to be premiering some new music at it hey, as well. I just woo, said it on a podcast, and so now go. apparently I have now to. Right, we're going to hold you to it yes, now. Yes, exactly. You Perfect. guys will be in the front row being like, what the fuck? Where's that new stuff? So that'll <laughs> yeah. be the encore. New stuff. New stuff. Yeah, kind we're going to start the chant. Yeah. Kind of the part of the point of like reissuing it like this was not to live in the past, but to kind of put this project to bed and then uh, motivate myself to like make, make new music. Yeah. And I'm definitely Perfect. you know focused on... I've got some got some ideas got some ideas in my head for some new oh, stuff. Yeah, I think yeah, it's gonna yeah. be pretty crazy. Um, so kind of like you know put that record to bed, let people hear it. Yeah. Do that run of fifty tapes, check it out, and then get the fuck on to the new shit and like nice. really really keep it moving. That's a great transitional piece to use that to like kind of spur you on to make new music totally. as well. Totally. Yeah. And you've been putting it on for a lot of cats with Helmet Cam. I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know Zuki made beats until I heard it on Helmet that Cam. That was a slapper. Yeah. Shouts out to Zuki. Yo, yeah. that one's that one's mean. So Yeah, he's that, got the slaps. He's got some shit. So, uh also, do you know anything about this clone that apparently uh the more napkins clone that sits at McDonald's? Wait, what? Apparently, what? apparently he sits in the same spot that you used to sit at at McDonald's. Uh, no, <laughs> you, don't, you haven't heard about this. Okay, you got a copycat. Yeah, well, uh, he, um, <laughs> so um, in addition to being a wonderful human being, being the manager of the Goodwill, and the reason the Goodwill is so uh, successful, talking about my man DJ Honeycut here. Um, He's also a photographer, uh, he's a very good photographer, and he took the photo for the More Napkins album cover, um, the original album cover, was me sitting in the McDonald's on Goulet working on it with like some food strewn around me. Um, and some, uh, a friend, some friends of mine had the idea that we reshoot it for this, for this reissue. So the poster uh, that you can see, that you see around town and on morenapkins.net is me about the way I look now, about 40 pounds lighter sitting there, but in the exact same configuration. So I assume that's the Tim Hoover clone that you're, that you're referring to. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of websites, Ben, I, I found your website in doing some research for Uh-oh. this. And it's amazing. I don't know if you've ever seen Tim's. Um, oh, I have not. Everybody's got to go check that out. djcoop.ca or DJ Coop. There's no hyphen. No, I'm a, I'm a very bad web designer, but it's, it's, it's under in construction. a good way. It's under construction. <laughs> That's what the animated gifts would say. The little guy with the hard hat, the little guy pushing the shovel. I went full web 1.0 on that, which is all I can do with the web. But also, I think it looks pretty fire. Yeah, it's amazing, man. I was like, this is this is the best. Actually, this is the best. Where did the name co-op come from? Good question. Yeah. I don't have a good answer for it. That's why. No. I, uh, yeah. No. Um. So, yeah. When I was in university, like we talked about earlier, I was messing with digging for records. I was messing with playing them on some belt drive tables and like a realistic mixer just at the house. And then I started playing, I started playing like events around the university for my friends. And most of my friends were kind of like involved in the environmental and recycling group, involved in the women's club, involved in these like sort of community oriented, mostly sort of left leaning uh, organizations. Mm-hmm. And so I was, the, the, the name of like the co-op sort of resonated with me with some of the, the events that I was doing. And then it also kind of resonated with me growing up, as I mentioned earlier in Portage La Prairie. Um, cause out in the country, the co-op is not just a gas bar. Like it is here in the city. The co-op is like the, this, er, this whole sort of, um, most of the co-ops would have like a grocery store and a gas bar 
and like a, a, a farm implement store, and it'd be like a whole sort of center for the for the community. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of a nod to like my rural roots, and a nod to like the sort of like this collective uh, community oriented. Uh, way of being also yeah. i just really like the old school co-op logo like the sort of chevron with the co-op <laughs> yeah, 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 i thought yeah. that would look cool like on a hat or whatever and or a pin and i and so yeah that was just, it just kind of stuck it's just one of those things you know and uh like yeah shouts out to yeah he just started calling me co-op and then after that it just that was it good answer good answer you tied it into community real good i, I mean, like that yeah you yeah. got a sense of co-ops with the union and then yeah. again with the goodwill. And with so the goodwill. Whoa, yo, there's, there's a red theme. There. There's Whoa. a theme. There. I like red it. alert. I like yeah. That. There we go. Yo, thank you very much for coming out and kicking it with us, man. I appreciate you. your time. Yeah, thank you guys for having me here and taking the time. I really appreciate it. Go check out morenapkins.net. The, the website looks great. The new photo looks great. Yeah. Did, did uh, Honeycut shoot that one too? He did not. Honeycut no? is in Europe right now. Yeah. Uh, and so I, uh, my, uh, my friends, uh, Mark, Lisa... My friends Mark and Lisa shot it. Mark Saunders, Lisa Swan, thank you. We had to like stake out the spot to get that spot. Someone else was leaving. <laughs> and then and then they Just worked really hard to look at Honeycutt's photo and then like align it. And then and then Mark, who uh, was an amazing graphic designer, actually combined the two because they kind of renovated the McDonald's. So he took the old wall and photoshopped it into the oh, new wall along with the new okay. Tim. So anyways, nice. I want to give a cool. huge shout out to them. Morenapkins.net. Check out the show April 20th. There you go. Thank you very much, man. Thank you. Thank you. We Thank out. Thank you, guys. Peace. Yep.